0: The Legal Toolkit with Jared Korea. With guest Joe Patrice. A round of Simpson Superfan trivia. And then, Jared's had me in this booth so long, I've forgotten what the sky looks like. Maybe he'll finally let me out today? But first, my captor, Jared
1: Korea. It's Legal Toolkit podcast time. Strap down the furniture. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I've never even held a hydraulic torque wrench. I'm your host, Jared Correa. Craig Ferguson was not willing to come on the show today as a guest host because of what happened between us in 1987. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Joe Patrice, senior editor at Above the Law, about modern legal journalism, I want to introduce a new monologue segment. This podcast is partially an excuse for me to make new music playlists every couple weeks that I can listen to on Spotify. But you already knew that. We talk about music a lot on this show because I like music. And so I think it's time to launch a new feature that I've wanted to release for a while. It's called Perfect Albums. I'm old, so I don't only listen to songs or what we used to call singles. I like to listen to full albums and judge the quality of an album as a whole. Honestly, it's really hard to find albums, entire albums, without filler. Most albums, uh, even the universally acclaimed ones, have bad songs. So I'm always on the lookout for the perfect album, an album that has no bad songs. Now this is, of course, a matter of taste, but as for myself, I've only discovered a handful of perfect albums across various genres, and I'm going to talk about them on this show, including on future episodes. So let's get a drum roll for our first perfect album. And yes, there are more than one perfect album which I know may defeat the purpose of calling something the perfect album, but let's call them perfect albums, plural. Country music actually takes many forms. There's the Nashville sound, popular country, but there's also Western Swank, which has been around for over 100 years and is most closely associated with acts like Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys and modern artists like George Strait. The Bakersfield sound was pioneered by Buck Owens in the 50s and extended to singers like Merle Haggard and Dwight Yoakam. Country rock fusion, one of my favorite genres of music, period, exploded with the Eagles, but was initially popularized by bands like Buffalo Springfield, the Flying Burrito Brothers, and Poco. In the early 90s, Nirvana pioneered the grunge sound, and that changed the face of popular music for the next decade. For the better, by the way. And the 90s is probably my favorite decade of music after the 70s. Let's not get too crazy. But there's also a genre of country music that incorporates alternative rock and also things like punk rock and country rock. It's called alternative country. But what's crazy is that the band that really pioneered this style is largely forgotten. They only came out with four albums in the early 90s, broke up in a highly acrimonious way, and were largely lost to history. However, During the course of that short run, they released a perfect album. Uncle Tupelo was named after a cartoon character made to look like a fat Elvis and was founded in Belleville, Illinois in 1987 by singer-songwriters Jay Farrar and Jeff Tweedy. Their first album, No Depression, was released in 1990, and its title cut was a cover version of the A.P. Carter collated song No Depression in Heaven. But it sounds a little different the way Uncle Tupelo does it and their version became a byword for the alt-country movement and the name of a popular magazine covering the genre. Most of the rest of the songs were original compositions that offered a harder edge than traditional country. No Depression is the seminal alt-country album, but it's not a perfect album. In fact, it would take another two albums, one an acoustic album recorded in five days and produced by R.E.M.'s Peter Buck before Uncle Tupelo had a major album release. And that album, their only major studio release, was a perfect album. It was called Anodyne, and it came out in 1993, in the middle of the grunge wave. And it features a split in songwriting duties between Farrar and Tweedy. The dual lead singer-songwriters of Uncle Tupelo have extremely different styles. Jay Farrar's music and lyrics are pretty dour, and Jeff Tweedy has more of a pop sensibility. Now, it probably sounds like that might not meld well together in a single album, but it all blends together, so, uh, wait for it, perfectly, on Anodyne. And while I like Farrah's later work better than Tweety's, I think Tweety's contributions outshine Farrah's on Anodyne. But there are a bunch of standout tracks on the album. Maybe the best song is Give Back the Key to My Heart, which isn't even an Uncle Tupelo song, but a duet between Jay Farrer and Doug Sam, a Texas singer-songwriter who originally wrote it. Now, Farrah gets the title track, Anodyne, which is actually probably the worst song on the album. I mean, it's still a really good song, because after all, Anodyne is a perfect album, as I said. But it's kind of rare that a title track would be the weakest track of all. Of the Farrah songs, Slate, which kicks off the album, and Chickabaga, a fantastic rocker, are the standouts. Of the Tweety songs, New Madrid, named after a series of earthquakes in the early 19th century, is probably the best track on the entire album. But Acuff, Rose, ironically, which you'll learn in a moment, about a famous country music songwriting duo, and the Long Cut, played on Late Night with Conan O'Brien to promote the album, are both great also. Now, I've listened to Anodyne, top to bottom, first track to last track, about a thousand times, and I'm never getting tired of it, and probably never will. I'll probably listen to it again after I'm done with this. Now, if you want to talk about going out on a high note, a la George Costanza, Uncle Tupelo certainly achieved that. Anodyne was their fourth and last album, their only major label release, as I said, because J-Far and Jeff Tweedy really, 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 really hated each other, each feeling that the other was purchased at the Jerk store. Shortly after our final tour, Far founded Sunvolt and Tweedy founded Wilco, and that put a bow on Uncle Tupelo, the greatest all-country band you never heard of. Perhaps not surprisingly, Wilco is a more popular band and Sunvolt is super underrated. But before all that, for one shiny moment in time, Uncle Tupelo made a perfect album. Now, before we get to our conversation about modern journalism with the one and only Joe Patrice, senior editor at Above the Law, let's hear from friend of the podcast, Joshua Lennon, who's got some perfectly impressive stats in this edition of the Cleo Legal Trends Report Minute.
0: Here's a fact. of your clients want their lawyers to use more technology. I'm Joshua Lennon, Lawyer in Residence at Clio. What does this data mean for you and your law firm? It's an indication that client expectations are shifting and a lot of this shift is being driven by technology. According to industry data in the past year, 52% of clients say they use more types of technology than ever, and 50% say they've become even more comfortable with that technology. When it comes to working with a law firm, over half want to meet through video conferencing and handle their documents electronically. Law firms that don't adapt to the shifting needs of their clients will inevitably fall behind. To learn more about what clients today are looking for and much more, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O.
1: So let's find out which Raised Pizza is actually the original. It's time to interview our guest. Actually, we're not going to talk about that at all. My guest today, Joe Patrice. Hey. Joe, you're the editor of Above the Law. Is that right? Or an editor? I, like I I am. I am. Uh, the capital se- E editor.
0: Senior editor at this point. Oh, yeah. oh wow. That's amazing. Good for you, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know as though that's any different than being regular editor, but, you know. It's better than a junior editor. I guess. Although, I guess now we do have a junior editor. For the longest time, we just had three senior editors, which really didn't make it much <laughs> sense. You're like a tribunal of editors. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've actually always pushed that. Uh, there was some talk of creating a new editor-in-chief position, and I said, why? We, we operate as kind of a triumvirate. Let's roll with it. But. All right, now, now we're now we're I'm in interesting territory now. Who are the other two editors?
1: I just for the people want to know.
0: Oh, so Stacey Zaretsky, who's been yes. there since before me, and yep. Catherine Rubino, who came right after me. We've been there this whole time. Obviously, Ellie Mistal has moved on to being on cable news every night. So yes, yes, seemed quite a bit. But he was there for he was there before us, and uh, yeah. Now mm-hmm. we have hired Christopher Williams, who's doing kind of a editorial role i mean i don't want to call him junior editor he's an editor who is not senior editor to the extent he just got this job that's a long title (gasps) he's just uh he's just out of law school so it allows us to have some editorial insight from folks who aren't nearly as removed from the law school experience as the rest of us are so yeah yeah. senior editors it's part of life so like Mm -hmm. i mean it's good to talk
1: with you when we're both sober so i'd like to take advantage of this I um, don't know why you would assume that
0: that's true, <laughs> but okay,
1: <laughs> that's true. I may be making too many assumptions here.
0: I don't know, like, like I don't know if you tell people when we're recording, but I mean, it is five o'clock, literally here. Yes, yes. All right, we're both <laughs> drunk. Anyway, yeah, I, I, yeah,
1: we kind of beat around the bush a little bit about what we want to talk about today, but I think we ended up settling on journalism and the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, yeah. I I write stuff, but I write, like, product reviews and white papers. It's not real journalism. Don't tell anybody I said that. So, like, what's real journalism in the legal space as far as you're concerned?
0: I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's a lot of things. I mean, I think the product reviews— Good lawyerly answer. (laughs) I I mean, look, product (laughs) reviews and white papers are journalism in this space, right? Like, especially in the legal tech space. Yeah, I'll I'll
1: be waiting on my Pulitzer. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. So they have a category for what we do, but I mean, it's, it is keeping your yourself on the pulse of what's going on in law. I think that there's obviously court coverage and stuff like that. Uh, We write a lot about you know lawyers behaving badly. Uh, You know, like uh, people getting sanctioned in funny ways. Law firm horror story. Horror stories. Oh, I wrote a thing today about the horror stories. Actually, it's like horror They're, stories in law firms or horror stories yeah. in legal generally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, these folks who are mistreated. Who you know, I, I was at the printers when my water broke, and the partner said I couldn't leave. You know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> there's like a Tuesday pool table there.
1: Legal practice. Yeah,
0: yeah. but yeah, I, I'm not writing a story about this. But Bloomberg was. Uh, Bloomberg was writing a story about horror stories and they asked for some insights on reddit uh, which was their first mistake uh and because <laughs> if you're looking for people to be helpful the first place to go is obviously reddit obviously so they asked for help and got shot down by a bunch of associates who were like you sensationalist i love my law firm and i was like come on you bootlickers like <laughs> what what's when did associates become so obsequious? Like <laughs> I I liked my law firms too, but come on. Like I understood <laughs> that there were still screamers in the practice and there were still bad managers and that it was yeah. worth having these stories. And it's not all about your experience. If you're having a great experience in law, great. But these stories aren't about sensationalism and clickbait. They're about helping the profession get better by exposing that people still suck in it sometimes and (laughs) and, i like how you brought that around there well done and and yeah and and i think that's a big part of what our niche is in the law like we also cover product reviews and the legal tech space obviously i do that part of our reporting and i do you know we're, we're writing a lot about Something happened with some courts this week. I don't know. I've been writing a lot about that. But I also write these stories, both good and bad, about law firms and how they are managed because I feel like it's valuable to the industry as a whole to see how both bad and good they uh, can—bad ideas and good ideas that they can either avoid or adopt in that order, hopefully.
1: You're performing a public service, much like Iron Man.
0: I do what I can. I mean, I don't use the word hero very often, but yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. So like, <laughs>
1: all right, you, you tease like the horror story stuff mm. and you found a lot of stuff. Can you give me some of the good horror stories that you covered? Like, did you write an article on this or is this I, just I like...
0: Mean, I mean, I, over the years I have, but Yeah. I, all right, what's your favorite horror
1: think... story from a lost firm or the most recent one you can recall?
0: So my favorite one, I guess, because it's so old that all the people involved aren't gonna be mad about it anymore. Uh, <laughs> we We did a travel horror story contest several years ago and we got a a law firm partner, a guy who is now a partner, but at the time was an associate shared a story of when he and David Boys were snowed in at some airport and boys just said, yeah, this isn't going to do it for me. Let's rent a car. Uh, and <laughs> smashed into the side of the highway multiple times. Uh, <laughs> had to push it out. Like oh, And the way the story ends is that after multiple crashes on the way back to New York, they just dropped the keys with the youngest associate and said, Now, return the car. And the youngest <laughs> associate had to drive the car up. Yep. You know, smashed in on both sides tires scraping uh yeah so that story and I, I heard that story from the guy who is now a partner who was involved and that was a great travel horror story years later i had the opportunity to chat with david boys and i brought it up and he went oh i remember that night and i said <laughs> oh so was it any different than this guy's remembering it and he said nope that's pretty much it that's pretty much exactly <laughs> what we did. We crashed and because I demanded to be back in the office in the morning, so we crashed. Got to get to work, man. Got to
1: get those billables in. I, mean, I get yeah. it. So we talked about horror stories, we talked about journalism. I want to spend the last few minutes we have here, I want to talk a little bit about politics, which is a subject I often avoid. That, okay. I, I hate politicians on both sides of the aisle, okay. Democrats and Republicans, but there's some news that came down today. Uh, as we're recording this, or in the past couple of days, which is that Sam and Pete Chase is stepping
0: down yep, from the yeah. Supreme Court. Do I have that right? Or uh, I don't think so. Uh, from what I understand, is something about Judge Steve Harvey. I think that possibly. his show, yeah. no. He, so yeah, Stephen Breyer is retiring, which I think a lot of people expected. And I don't think a lot of people expected the announcement mid-term. We yeah. all expected it last term. But yeah, he will be stepping down as soon as the term ends. His exact words are, when the term ends, assuming I have a successor confirmed, which is, you know, great fine print, you know. Right, right. Very lawyerly thing
1: to do. So yeah, that's a hot topic. It is. There's a ton of political topics right now. Mm-hmm. COVID is a political thing. So. Yeah. The thing I want to ask you is not about those stories, your opinion on that necessarily, but like, how do you try to cover something like that as a legal journalist in a way that's kind of fair and balanced? Well, I
0: have no interest in fair and balanced. That said... (laughs) Oh, so you don't try. Okay, go ahead. I mean, look, um, I'm fairly, and this makes me very stereotypical. So I didn't come at this job from the journalism route. I was an attorney for... 11 years, uh, yeah. then Sorry. got into this. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, I've i recovered mostly. But <laughs> having come at it from that perspective, I therefore have an answer to a question that I think any real journalist would say that is the most hackneyed, you know, expected <laughs> answer, and they would right. be rightly shamed for it. But since I came at it for, as a lawyer, I feel I can say it. i very much influenced by Hunter S. Thompson as far as how I go about reporting. Oh, sure. he was very vocal, like, objective journalism, that is not what I'm here for. My job is to have a perspective and tell a story from that perspective. So I have no real concern about the fair and balanced part. But there is an interesting bit about how to write about these subjects. And I actually had an—it's interesting you asked this question today— Because a large part of my day was helping our, you know, our newest editor, Chris, like work on a story. Junior editor, yeah, yes, work on a story because it was a story that spun out of the Briar retirement. But he was writing it very straight up the gut. Here's the newsy sort of story, and what I said was, "Look, nobody cares what Above the Law thinks about that." You know, like, because because if you wanted to hear this particular angle, somebody's going to read the Washington Post for that or Slate for that or something like that. The angle that is us is the angle that intersects with Georgetown Law School. Or well, yeah. Georgetown Law Center because they can't be a law school because that would be too normal. <laughs> point is, I, point is, so I talked him through that. Like, oh no, no we've got to switch the angle around. You got to massage the way you're telling this story. So the story is Georgetown Law Center, blank, blank, blank. Not here's what's going on with the nomination process. Right, a- and right. that's kind of the hard part from being a niche journalist. Uh, so you want to write about these stories, especially when they intersect with the rest of the main world. You know, when we're talking about large legal tech company buying another legal right. tech company, we can do whatever <laughs> we want because we're the we're the only place people are reading that. But when all of a sudden we become somewhat relevant to the real world – what do you do? And you can't tell the story the same anymore because now all of a sudden there are other outlets telling that same story. So you've got to like right. carve out the way in which it's true to what your publication's voice is. And so that was, so it's an interesting, you asked about like, how do we cover these sorts of things? Because that is that is something I'd never thought of until I had to kind of work him through mm-hmm. how to fix and edit up the story. But it is... Yeah, it's well. We hit you on the thing. right day. That's Yeah, good. exactly. No, great day. Right.
1: I said I had one more question. I lied. Go for it. Last question. One for the aggregators. Mm-hmm. Is like objective journalism
0: even a thing anymore? Does anybody try to do that? Do you think? I mean, I think I think people try. Okay. I would. I don't really like it. Uh, I feel as though purely objective journalism, as a concept. Is a noble pursuit, and like a lot of noble pursuits, is very easily hacked. Uh, mm. If you uh, like, in I mean, we've talked about as a society these issues, like the climate change one, where ninety-nine percent of scientists say one thing, one percent say the other. <laughs> well, we've got to have both of them. I like, right. but that's right. <laughs> that's indicative of the problem with trying to have objective journalism under the rules promulgated by a million and one journalism schools. When you try to do that without recognizing being open about what your biases and perspectives are and telling the story from that perspective and giving the audience the ability to navigate it with those understandings, you end up in a situation where somebody can easily just hack you by saying... Well, you don't have my guy on. You've got to have the other side of the story. And it's like, well, you're right. outnumbered 99 to 1. But they will do that. And that's the problem with purely objective.
1: So glad I just watched Don't Look Up. Um, yeah.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly.
1: This is fun. I'll tell people yeah. we had no idea what we were going to talk about until we came we on didn't. the show. And I thought that went pretty well. Yeah. Will you come back for the last segment? Sure. Awesome. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned as always for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, Even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. dot com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person DocuB will be with you every step of the way welcome everybody to the rear end of the legal toolkit that's right it's the rump roast it's a grab bag of short form topics all of my choosing why do i get to pick because i'm the host so joe is you may know and you may be hearing about this for the first time I usually use this segment as an excuse to harangue and embarrass my guests, but today I'm feeling, yeah, it's awesome actually, but today I'm feeling more like a masochist than a sadist, so I'm going to turn the tables. As Austin Powers might say, allow myself to reintroduce myself. You get to quiz me. Okay. So I view you as a Simpsons expert the Simpsons television show we've talked about this a number of times you
0: are like would i be embarrassing or offending you if i called you a Simpsons super fan i do enjoy the Simpsons quite a bit i i like a lot of people i kind of dropped off you know at this point a couple decades ago which oh meant that i was yeah. a super fan for more than a decade uh, right. at this point but yeah but yeah those early years i very much took a lot of lessons about comedy and entertainment from them I mean, The Simpsons have been on for, like, what, 34 years? So Christmas of 89 was the first uh, episode, the Christmas special. Uh, they had been on Tracy Ullman's show before that. Right. But December 89, so yeah.
1: So my son is 10, and he's watched all the seasons on Ooh, wow. Disney. Plus. Like, he's watched all the seasons. And I don't know, like he doesn't necessarily see the divergence in quality that you would see if you were watching it in real time. So it's really interesting. And he's like, Oh, the animation is better now, (laughs) but all the jokes like go over his head. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So I want you to ask me the hardest Simpsons trivia questions you can think of. And I want to see how I do. So I'm putting myself in the rump roast seat. So hit me and we'll get through as many as we can in like the next four or five minutes.
0: So I'll ask the first one, and then I'll tell a story. So the first Great. one I'd ask is Millhouse's dad, Kirk. Where did he go to college?
1: Oh shit, this is not going to. All right, where did he go to college? I bet he went to like a college where they play lacrosse because he's like a lacrosse guy. He did. Right? Um, he did
0: play lacrosse. Uh, I'm gonna say um, Syracuse. No, so it's a fake college. It's uh, he went to oh. Gudger. Gudger College. Gudger College. (laughs) And this brings me to the story. Once, when you say I'm a super fan, I'm like, I enjoy it, but I am nowhere near the level of some of these real (laughs) trivia people. And I got asked by another friend to go to a Simpsons trivia competition once. And I was like, okay. And I went, and I was hanging around and looking. And after the (laughs) first question, this guy was like, you got it right. Oh man, we're gonna do great. And I was like, no, we're gonna get killed. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you understand. There's a guy over there with a Gudger College T-shirt. That's that's a one-off joke from one episode. It's been in others since, but at the time, one episode. I was like, and he has a shirt. We're gonna we're gonna die, and we <laughs> did. We awesome. we we were pretty bad. Uh, okay, so.
1: And now I know I might check to the Gudger College Endowment Fund never cashed. Thank you for clearing
0: that up. So, Bart tried to set up Edna Krabappel with a boyfriend. Uh, It wasn't a real person. It was somebody that, uh, she was, it was catfishing before catfishing, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Who was Bart's made-up boyfriend for Edna? Oh, my God.
1: There are Bart's two potential
0: answers. One was, what was the name of this fictitious boyfriend? The other one I was going to go with is, there was a picture for that fictitious boyfriend, and who was the picture of. Either is acceptable. All right, can, I'm going
1: I'm to go with the picture. Okay. Mario Lopez. It was Gordy Howe. Oh, I, uh, you know what? Hockey I actually legend. remember that. Yes. Yeah. I remember that episode. What was the
0: name that Bart gave him? He named him Woodrow because he looked up and saw a picture of Woodrow Wilson and just rolled with it. Uh, this is going
1: well so far. I think yeah. I'm over two. Everybody who's been on this segment before is now like, "Fuck that guy!"
0: All right, you got any more trivia questions for me? So, so uh, back to college, I guess. Oh no, actually, let's do a let's do a maybe easier one. I don't know. Okay. Uh, oh,
1: good, good. That's what I need.
0: Ba- back to our. Favorite character Kirk, there. Yes. What was the music single he recorded in an attempt to get his wife back? <laughs> Is this an original composition? It was, of his? yeah. <laughs> oh
1: my God. I don't know. I don't want Milhouse to grow up without a dad. Why are you asking me so many Milhouse questions? You're killing me. Here. I don't
0: know. Like, for some reason, I just have those two. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it was can I borrow a feeling? Uh, <laughs> Can you lend me a? Can you lend me a mug of love? Uh, Yeah. Wait. Was the actual title? Can Can you? Can I borrow a feeling?
1: feeling? Yeah. Uh, Parentheses. Can you lend me a mug of love? No, that was was just the the second line of the. Just second line of the lyrics. I'm doing horribly. I want people to know I can I can take it as well
0: as I can dish it out. Go ahead. All right. Legal question. Yes. Part eight. A jagged metal crusty o. Once and hired Lionel Hutz to okay. sue. Managed to win, however, didn't get very much for it because of the high legal fees of the team that that Lionel put together, one of which was Albert Dershman, uh, <laughs> who was very much a person who I know hates me. Uh, what, <laughs> what was Albert Dershman's skill that he brought to the table? Uh, DNA analysis. He can hold five billiard balls in his mouth at once. Was what they <laughs> had him do, which is that's about skill
1: in the courtroom, right?
0: I mean, at this point, that's about all I'd trust the person he's based on to do. But yeah, <laughs>
1: all right, we probably don't want to go into that anymore because there may I be mean,
0: defamation claims in play. But trusting that's a that's pure opinion that I wouldn't trust him. <laughs> that's, that's not a. That's not a definition. Lawyer, thing.
1: journalist. Okay, so well, let's do one more. You got one more okay. for me, and then we'll finish up.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, what sci-fi movie was converted into a musical that the Simpson family went oh, to see? Oh, I think I know this one. Planet of the Apes. Uh, there we go. Doctor I was trying Zaius. to come up with something that you could get so we'd end yes. on a high note. There thank we go. you for pitying me. Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus? I remember that. I hate every chimp I see, from chimpan <laughs> A to chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> My brother loves that episode. So, it's Patrick, good.
1: if you're listening, you saved me here. Uh, that was fun. Thanks for coming good. on, Joe. I had a great yeah, time. No problem. Awesome. All yeah. Right, take it easy, man. We'll do it again sometime. Right. Yep, absolutely. Talk to you later. If you want to find out more about Joe Patrice and Above the Law, visit abovethelaw.com. Now, for those of you listening in cocksacking New York, perverts. We've got a new Spotify playlist that only about six people, uh, one of whom is not Neil Young, by the way, are going to care about. The best of Uncle Tupelo and his various offshoots. Unfortunately, I can't let Evan out quite yet, but he knows that. To get out, he simply needs to put the lotion in the basket. Honestly, it's not that hard. That'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Correa reminding you that fruit Loops are all the same flavor.